Be opening your Bibles <clears throat> to Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. We want to welcome all of our guests today, both in person and online. Uh, I know we have a number of people that, uh, that are watching online. We're glad to, to have you with us. And so be opening your Bibles to Romans 12, and we'll look at a passage uh, we'll look at that passage in just a moment. I want to begin today by telling you a story. There are these uh, two construction workers, and uh, it was time for lunch, and so they opened their lunch box, and the first construction worker looked down at what was in his box, and he said, not baloney again. It's the third time this week I've had baloney. I hate baloney. I, I can't believe I have baloney again. And so his friend said to him, well, why don't you ask your wife to make something different? And he says, I don't have a wife. I made these myself. Now, the truth of the matter is, a lot of times, the bologna that we're eating, it's because we're serving it. It's because we've created it. And yet, the interesting thing is, we want things to change. We want things to be different. You've heard the definition of insanity. It's when you're doing the same old things in the same old ways, hoping for there to be a different result. And what we continue doing is we're satisfied with eating bologna. But what we're saying in this message series is that you can be transformed. You can be different. You can make changes. You may recall last Sunday morning as we began our series, uh, we asked the question, is change even possible. And if we believe these words in Romans chapter 12 that we heard read just a moment ago, Paul would not command something if it were impossible to make changes or to be different. Romans chapter 12 verse 2, Paul says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but notice he says, be transformed. That phrase, be transformed, is in fact a command. It's in the imperative mood. And so we begin with the assumption that we can experience change both in our lives and also in the church. Now when Paul says be transformed, the word there is a fascinating word. We, from that Greek word, we get the English word metamorphosis. When we're changed or when we're transformed, we go through a metamorphosis, a, an immature form is changed into a mature form. And of course, the image that we have in our minds is that old illustration about from, from a caterpillar, and you know what a caterpillar is, that, that little creature, that kind of, you know, that green creature that, that has all these little tentacles and hands and kind of walks along and creeps along and eats leaves. That creature is transformed into this very beautiful butterfly, this colorful, graceful, beautiful butterfly and Paul is saying the same thing can happen in our lives we can experience transformation that same word is used again by Paul over in the book of 2nd Corinthians 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 in verse 18 where he says and we with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory that is we think about we behold God in all of his glory and it says that we're being transformed into his image. That's process language. And it helps us to understand what's occurring. We, we want to be transformed into the image of Christ. Notice, 
with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, we become like that which we behold. It's one of the reasons why worship is so important. It's important for us to gather together as we behold the Lord's glory. In a very negative world, the church ought to be the one place that says change is possible. It ought to be the one place where you consistently hear a message. We don't have to buy into that old way. We can be different. We can go through a metamorphosis. I think I've told you before, one of the highlights of my week is I have an opportunity from time to time to speak to the new life behavior classes in jail. These men and women, they, they go through these series of classes and they, they always ask me to come and speak at graduation. And one of the things I routinely say to them is that your past does not have to determine your future. Though you find yourself in kind of a dark place by a series of bad choices that have been made, the amazing thing is you can experience transformation. Now, some of you have come into this room today and maybe you've made mistake after mistake. And perhaps you're a little bit discouraged and you're wondering to yourself if this is even possible. I mean, you've dedicated your life to Christ. And then you've fallen back and you've dedicated your life to Christ again and you've fallen away and you've committed your life to Jesus one more time. I want you to know there is a God in heaven and there are people on earth who are committed to your transformation. You don't have to stay the same. But not only is transformation possible, I want you to know that transformation is personal. That is, there's some things that only I can do and some things that only you can do. Now, certainly, we need our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need environments like life groups where there's a measure of accountability. We need a Bible class where we go deep in the Word and, and study God's Word in a uh, challenging way. We need worship where we're inspired and encouraged and built up. But at the end of the day, there's only some things that you can do and I can't do for you. Transformation is not only possible, but understand, friends, transformation is personal. I love Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Notice how it begins. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, Whenever I read the word therefore, I'm asking myself the question, well, what is it therefore? And in this case, what Paul is doing is that he's pointing back. He says, therefore, I urge you. I'm, I'm pleading with you, he says. In view of God's mercy, that's shorthand for Paul saying, in light of the first 11 chapters of Romans, Think for a moment about all the things he says in Romans 1 through 11. He talks about how we've been experienced salvation by grace through faith. How that because of our baptism we've had every sin washed away. We were dead in Christ, but now uh, dead in our sins, but now we're alive in Christ. He talks about this hope that we have. He talks about how the Holy Spirit lives in us. He talks about in Romans 5, though we go through trials, those trials are working in our lives to make us more and more like Jesus. He talks about how Jews and Gentiles in Christ are now one new humanity. He says all of this, in light of all of this, he's asking us to do something. 
He's calling us to do something that if we, are, if we do this, it opens the door to our transformation. Notice what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer, notice, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. He wants us to make an offering. Some of you are saying right now, I knew we'd show up to church and that preacher would talk about giving. I know he'd talk about money. He'd talk about the offering. Well, he's not talking about offering money. He's talking about something else. In view of God's mercy, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies. He wants us to offer our hands and our feet and our mouths. You might be thinking to yourself, you know, I don't really have much to offer God. I'm broken or I've failed. And yet the Bible is filled with story after story of men and women who offered their bodies to God. And the amazing thing is God did amazing things through them. So think about Sarah. Think about the womb of Sarah. She, she was barren, but when she presented herself to God Amazingly, that womb produced a nation. Or the mouth of Moses. Moses said to the Lord, I'm not very eloquent. I don't know the right words. I'm a little embarrassed to speak. And yet, when his mouth was offered to God, eventually Moses stood in front of the most powerful man on the planet, Pharaoh. And he said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And because of that, the people of God who were in bondage experienced freedom. Or think about the feet of Paul. He offered those feet to God, and those feet took him into synagogues, into all kinds of spaces. Those feet took him on journeys. He went on at least three <laughs> excuse me, missionary journeys. And as a result of that offering, understand Christianity was not just a little sect of the Jews, but Christianity became this worldwide movement. And today, we're here in large measure because that message went out all over the world. You see, transformation is possible, but you've got to remember, it's, it's personal. It's a decision we need to make to, to give ourselves to God, to offer our lives to Him, but but it's also, understand, it's a process. Oh, I, I wish transformation could occur by one sermon. I'd love to preach that sermon if folks would be transformed by just one message. I wish transformation occurred through one conversation or through the influence of just one event or moment. But you know, transformation in our lives is more complex than that. It is a process. I want to recommend a book to you, a book written by a man named Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy. It's one of my favorite books on spiritual maturity or spiritual growth, and in that book, he helps me to understand in a very simple way something about the process of spiritual growth and maturity. So imagine a triangle. Actually, you don't have to imagine a triangle. It should be on the screen about right now. And as you think about that triangle, think about the words, the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's at the top edge of the, the top of the triangle. Anytime we think about spiritual growth or maturity, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit's going to be involved in that. Next Sunday morning, Alex is going to preach and he's going to talk to us about the importance of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual growth. But there's more. 
Look at the other angle, that right angle, and there you see the word training. When you're reading through the New Testament, especially in Paul's uh, works, Paul will often use athletic imagery. And when we think about athletes, we know for an athlete to compete well, that athlete must go into strict training. And certainly there are some things we do as we train. Um, and, and so we're, we're going to talk about prayer and, and, and memorizing Scripture and reading the Bible and fasting and all sorts of um, things that we do with regard to training. And I think about the other angle. There you see the word testing. The Lord's brother, James, says in chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And then he says, amazingly, that these trials, these tests, they produce amazing spiritual fruit. For he says, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And as we persevere, we become more and more mature. So here's what I'm saying. The work of the Holy Spirit, plus training, plus testing, equals the mind of Christ. You see, that's the goal, that we want to be men and women, as we read a few moments ago out of 2, Timothy, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, men and women whose minds are more and more like Jesus. Transformation is an inside-out reality. And this brings us back to that passage we read a moment ago, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, where Paul says there, do not conform to the pattern of this world. That's always the tendency, is for us to adopt the thinking or the mores to be pressed into this world's mold. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but notice what he says. Be transformed. That's what we're talking about in this message series. But I want to know how this happens. How can we experience transformation? And Paul tells us, be transformed, notice, by the renewing of your now, I want to say two things as we come to the end of our message today. I want to say two things about how we can experience our minds being renewed. And in fact, it might be good for you just to write these two phrases down because these are very important. I would say the first thing is we need to feed our minds. We feed our minds by filling them with good thoughts, with, with healthy thoughts. Things. We need to feed our mind with the truth. Now, more and more of us these days are health conscious, and if you read the literature these days from doctors and other medical professionals, they tell us that really it's, it's not that we need three big meals a day, but they're saying really for a healthy diet, we need sort of smaller meals all through the day. That feeds, uh, that feeds us physically. I would suggest they're onto something. And spiritually speaking, we need the same thing. I mean, if we think we can just show up and hear an inspiring message, that's good. It's a good place to start, but that's not enough. If we think that, well, if I, if I attend a Bible class, that's great. Or maybe if I, you know, find time to read my Bible once this week, that's okay. I want to suggest there's so much error, there's, there's so much falsehood out there that we're bombarded with, if we don't feed our minds daily on the Word, I'm not so sure we're going to grow as we should. So let me look at, uh, let you uh, encourage you with three verses and suggest some ways, very practical ways, we can feed our minds. 
Notice what David said in Psalm 119, 147. He says, do not, he says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I've put my hope in your word. Think about that verse. He gets up early. And, and what does he do? He cries for help. That is, he, he prays. But also he puts his hope in God's word. He finds hope and confidence by reading God's word. And so, so that's one verse. Um, look at the second verse, Psalm 119.97, which says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day. Now, some of you are saying to me about right now, Kevin, I have to work all day. Or Kevin, I've got these kids that I'm managing. And you know, there's a lot of energy in our house. What if we did this? As we began our day, we, we found a, a promise uh, that's, that's important for us to know in Scripture, maybe a couple of verses. And we took a three-by-five card and we wrote those verses on that card and put that card in our pocket. And all through the day, we have a downtime, just pull that, pocket, pull that card out and read it and put it back. Or maybe when we're, you know, we've got a little free time, we pull that card out and we read it. Or maybe, as you're, uh, uh, maybe you have a Bible app and as you're traveling to the next appointment, you listen to Scripture being read. What if we found ways to meditate on Scripture all through the day? And as we think about this Scripture, it sinks deeply into our heart. In our bathroom, Jana will take three-by-five cards all the time, and she'll write verses on them, and it'll, it'll be on our, on our mirror. First thing, look at the mirror, not look at yourself, you're looking at the verse, and you're reading that verse. It's a way to meditate on it. One of the things, Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. And it's amazing how often David, as he writes that chapter, talks about the idea of meditating. That is, to think about and let that word sink into your heart. One other scripture, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, which says, Keep this law, book of the law always on your lips. Notice, meditate on it day and night. We think about, we meditate on truth in the morning. We think about it all through the day. And at night we think about it. When our boys were little, one of the things we felt strongly about was we wanted them to think about and hear positive things before they drifted off into sleep. And so we, like a lot of parents, we would pray with our kids at night and, 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 and talk to them and tuck them in. But often we would, back then we had uh, cassette tapes, uh, back then, we would, let, we would put on a cassette tape, and we would lesson, let them listen to a VeggieTales story by James Dobson, or sometimes we would let them listen to Scripture. And I thought, that's such a good thing. What if we did that? We put our earbuds in, and we, right before we drifted off, we listened to those beautiful promises, those, those grace-filled, truth-filled words. So we're thinking about God in the morning. We're thinking about Him through the day. And before we go to sleep, we have him in our mind. And so we need to feed our minds. But not only do we need to do that, we also need to free our minds from destructive thoughts. You see, our minds need to be liberated and delivered. Our minds need to be set free from destructive thoughts. Now, this runs contrary to what most people think because a lot of people think, I have no agency in the matter. I, don't, I can't do anything about these thoughts that I have. And yet, amazingly, Paul begs to differ. 
Paul believes that we do have some agency in the matter. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, he talks about how we're involved in a spiritual battle. We're involved in spiritual warfare. And so notice what Paul says in this verse. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You hear many things throughout your day that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. He says we demolish those things. And notice what Paul says. Look at the words we've emphasized here. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is not passive. This is not saying, well, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. I I just have these thoughts. No, no, no. He says we take them captive and then we make them obedient. Every time I read this passage of Scripture, I remember when my, in my growing up years, when, my, when I would be at my grandmother's house, and my grandmother had very strong opinions about how kids, namely I, should be raised. And she would say to my mother, she would say, Laura, you need to make that boy mind. And she was right. But what Paul is saying here is, we need to make our thoughts mind. But have you noticed this? Sometimes my mind has a mind of its own. And this is more difficult than sometimes we realize. I was sharing some of these thoughts with my wife just last night, and she looked at me with that smile on her face, and she said, are you listening to yourself preach? Do you realize that's exactly what you need to do? You see, sometimes our thoughts are like little spoiled children out of control. And Paul, in this passage of Scripture, says the things we think about, it's an obedience issue. We take every thought captive. Notice we make it, what? Obedient to Christ. Sometimes my thoughts are incredibly disobedient. So I want to know, how can we make our minds mind? I want to know, how can we apply this passage that Paul gives us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10? And so here I want to use Michael Hyatt's language. Michael Hyatt says something that I think, this is worth the price of the sermon right here. Michael Hyatt says we need to replace limiting beliefs with liberating truth. Think about this for a moment. We need to replace limiting beliefs with liberating truth. Too many of us buy into these limiting beliefs. Well, Kevin, what do you mean? Give me some examples of a limiting belief. And so here might be a limiting belief. You might be saying to yourself right now, it doesn't matter if I don't show up for church or show up for class or watch online. I don't have much to contribute. That is a limiting belief. And we need to be liberated with the truth. What is the truth? The truth is, I am created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and I need you, and you need me. Here's another limiting belief. Nothing will ever change. In fact, there's no point in even trying. All this talk, Kevin, about transformation, about being different, nothing's really ever going to change. The truth is, change for you can begin today. With one small step. It can begin in my life with one small step. Maybe, quite honestly, you're not feeding yourself 
with truth. And so today you can say, I'm going to get that three by five card out and I'm going to write some verses on those cards just to start thinking about. Or maybe today can be, you know, I, I, uh, I can be different with regard to my attitude, my spirit. I've been filled with so much negativity. You know, I see so much negativity on the, you know, in, in the media these days. I, you know, I, but yet a small, you can change through a small step. Here's another uh, limiting belief. Well, this is just who I am. I'm a worrier, or I'm fearful, or I'm a hothead, or, and you fill in the blank. The truth is, this liberating truth is, God wants to transform us. This is just who you are if that's who you want to be. And so the amazing truth is, it's so simple and so obvious, but it's true. You can experience transformation. As we feed our minds with God's word, and as we, as we also um, replace those negative thoughts, replace all that, all that negativity that we see that Satan teaches us. This week, let's... Let's develop the mind of Jesus. Let's feed our minds and free our minds. And so I want to begin praying today. I think some of you maybe today need to make a decision about this. Some of you, as you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I want to take a step. I don't know what your step of transformation would be, but, but I would encourage you to think about one thing, one small step I could do, one step I could make as I strive to develop the mind of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful that that we have the opportunity to read words like Romans 12, 1-2. God, would you let them sink into our hearts? Father, I pray that we'll be men and women whose minds are renewed as we feed on your word. God, I know even the evil one right now, he, he puts negativity, falsehood, whatever he says, it's, it's a lie. And yet, God, your word is truth. May we learn to replace those limiting beliefs with, with the liberating truth you've given us in your word. Bless us this day. In Jesus' name, amen.